Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Well, welcome to Masterclass Theology, and I am Big Rev. I am Crockpot. It's an honor to be able to uh, be here this evening from Chicagoland, and we are grateful for you, O listener. And we have the honor tonight of continuing our little three-part series we did. Uh, two weeks ago, I led us through a, a character study of Naomi. And last week, Professor D led us through a fantastic discussion on, on the character of Jonah. And tonight we have the crockpot. John, uh, let me open us up in a word of prayer. And then Please. We, the floor is yours. God, That's we it. thank you for uh, this evening. We thank you for your word that we get to study it. I, I thank you, God, and, and I'm praying. From for my friend, the crockpot here, that he would uh, be faithful tonight, Lord, that you would just speak through him and, and guide this discussion, Lord. And we, we're just so grateful, Lord, for your word and for this opportunity we have to study it. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, the crockpot, the, uh, the floor is yours. <laughs> Thank you, and just, sir. And I'm sorry, just one, one, more, one more thing. I should have included this in my prayer, but Professor D will not be with us tonight, and our, and our, 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 our thoughts and our prayers go with him and his family right yeah. now. And uh, we we are dealing with the family thing, so we we're just we're so grateful for Professor D. And we're and if you're listening to this right now, Professor D, God bless you, and we love you. Yeah. All right, all right, Crockpot. Now Amen. it's you. Thanks, Big Rev. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I almost missed my cue there when you said, "I'm Big Rev," and I was waiting for, and I'm Professor D. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, gotta jump in here. Crockpots, jumping in. So, okay, well. I'm curious, Joel, to to get your thoughts and maybe uh, hear some thoughts of our of our audience later on whether I've picked a good uh, a good Bible character to conclude our series here tonight. When you told me to pick some pick a a Bible person to discuss, you know, I didn't want to go with somebody that's been too that's been discussed too much, that's too well known, that we've heard about too much. You know, trying to pick somebody that's a little bit less well-known, but not too obscure. So I don't know. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Aaron. Have you ever heard of Aaron? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Aaron, nice. Aaron's in the Bible? He sure is. Um, we'll see. I don't know. I'll, you'll have to tell me your thoughts later. Oh, wait, you um, didn't go like Jesus or something. You, you, it, I, it was in between. I wanted to be somewhere in between Jesus and... Um, uh let me think um uh, abby shag i don't know yeah somewhere in there we you went we, off the beaten path well done yes we talked last week about doing next doing uh an um ananias series where we cover the different ananiases in the bible <laughs> and in case you're wondering there are three of them and they're all in the book of acts and they're all different ananiases popular baby names from uh i don't know 80 and i think only and one of them is good Probably. Yeah, most of them are pretty bad. But, but all great content for a future podcast series, no doubt. Okay, so Aaron is famous for being the brother of Moses, who you may have heard of. He is the first high priest of Israel. So you may also have heard of this thing where the ancient Israelites had this um, system, a priesthood, a royal priesthood of these men who were all part of the same family, descendants of Levi, and specifically descendants of Aaron, 
who were basically in charge of running the religious um, calendar and rituals on behalf of all of Israel. And they're basically the stewards of the temple. And before the, there was the temple, it was would have been the tabernacle. So I'm just going to start by giving kind of like a brief overview of, of the priests and who they are to give you some context for why Aaron is significant. And then we'll do kind of uh, a general overview of the life of Aaron, a, a quick bio in the Bible, we'll do a, like a character sketch like Mick did for, for Jonah last week. And then once we've done that, we're going to look at a, at a specific episode in the life of Aaron, because we don't get too many specifics of those like we do with a bigger character like Moses or Abraham. So we'll look at one of those. Joel, can you guess which one I'm going to go over? Oh, so many guess. to choose from, but if I had to guess one Aaron story, oh my mm -hmm. goodness, I'm going to guess the golden calf. You got it. Oh. Exodus 32, that's where we're going. There are a few good ones, but that's the, the golden one, you might say. Uh, after we do that, so that's going to give us a, a better, as really as good an insight into the actual character of Aaron, I think, as we get in the Bible. So once we have that, we'll kind of do a discussion on like, okay, how did this guy do morally? What was his character like? What does that reveal about him? What does it reveal about us? Most importantly, what does it re reveal about God? Because that's ultimately the question that you want to be asking. And, um, we had a really interesting conversation on that with Jonah last week because it's really easy to kind of go in and pull this guy apart and nitpick everything he does and ask questions about his character. But like ultimately, it's about what does this say about God? That's why it's even in the Bible. That's why the biblical author included these narratives. Tell us about God's character more than anyone else's. So let's start by just talking about um, who are the priests of Israel? And before I can really answer that question, what is a priest? A priest is a mediator, one who goes between two parties, like an, like an ambassador or a bridge. You know, Joel, uh, the church that Joel works at and that I attend is called the bridge. It's called the bridge because our main goal is to connect people with God. So in that sense, that's, that's what a priest does. A priest acts as an intercessor, a mediator between two parties in this case between man and God, because before the work of Jesus was done on earth, we needed somebody to do that for us because there was this huge rift between holy God and sinful man, right? So that's why Israel needed priests. They were the managers or the overseers or the stewards of the, of the temple and the tabernacle before the temple was built, which was um, the the center, the center of Israel's worship. It's where their sacrifices were made and, and the most important religious rituals were carried out. And the priests were over all of that. They were in charge of that. God designated these people to, um, to do these different rituals and, and, and carry out the different events in the religious calendar, like the burning of incest, incense and making special offerings and sacrifices on holy days they were the ones who actually had access to the holy of holies the the innermost part of the tabernacle or the temple where nobody else could go where they had the closest access to the presence of god so a very special group of people and it was aaron who was designated to be the first priest aaron and his sons 
and then all of their descendants, or I should say all of all of the the people who served in the priesthood after that were descendants of Aaron and his sons. They're part of that same family. Okay, so um, well, I'll, I'll pause there for a moment, Mick, before I go into um, giving us some backstory on, on Aaron as he's uh, as his story is told in the Bible. Anything you want to add? Yeah, it's kind of like um, there's that old logical question, the logical conundrum or statement, all bachelors are men, but not all men are bachelors. It's like the difference between priests and Levites, not, right. not all, all Levites, all priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. They, they, they have to be just Aaron and his son. I like that you brought that out, that only Aaron, only only the line of Aaron can have priests in terms of how it was designed. And, and I like, I like how you spoke of mediator. I, I used to love the picture the two offices of in the old Testament is there, there's that, there's that sign on the side of the road. When you're driving, one of the rules of the road sign has like an up arrow and a down arrow and mm -hmm. they're going in different directions. I think it's, I think it's saying like the street you're on is a two way street. I like to think of the down arrow as like the prophet where it's like, God is speaking to man and the up arrow is the priest where like man, the priest enables now me to connect with God. And so versus the prophet taking the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amitai, you know, he brings it down. And so the priest now brings my sacrifice up. And so I, I, I liked the, the mediation. That was, that was some good background you gave. And we're going to get into more of that, but thank you. I actually, okay. I was going to, I was going to save this for later, Oops. but um, no, you're, you're good. You know, <laughs> this is, this is why we have two of us, you know, um, the Lord, the Lord uses us as he wills. And um, I was going to point out later, and I'll point out now that Moses and Aaron were both a prophet and a priest. Mm. I'll just, I'll give you that little nugget right now. But as, you, as, as the story unfolds, you'll kind of see how that's the case. We tend to think of Moses as the prophet and Aaron as the priest, but there's actually little bits here and there in the Torah where there's some overlap and some uh, some cross training going on. Nice. So the first, but that's a totally accurate analogy. Yeah. A a another way to put it is um, a priest uh, represents people to God, and a prophet represents God to people. I mean, that's a gross oversimplification, but nice. In essence, that's that's more or less how it works. Okay, so Aaron is first mentioned in, it's Exodus 4. So this is right after Moses has been called to go do his job, to go, uh, to go make his case before Pharaoh for the Israelites to be released. And he's making all these objections of how he's not the right person to do that. And God says, uh, what about your brother Aaron? He's more or less, he's good at all the things that you're telling me that you're not good at. Should we just have him do it instead? That's our introduction to Aaron. And our first, um, his first action that's recorded in the Bible is to obey God. Aaron's is God at some point uh, around or during the time of, of his um, calling Moses has also appeared to Aaron apparently and has, and has told him, go meet your brother Moses in the wilderness. And Aaron obeys and he goes and meet, meets Moses and he kisses him and 
this is this is our introduction to Aaron. Okay, he's he's a, apparently a man of faith who loves his brother. He heeds the voice of God and goes where he's called. Okay, so the two brothers, Moses and Aaron, head to Egypt, and for a while we get all these um, little glimpses of of Moses and Aaron doing the job jointly. They're doing it together. Um, uh, king of Egypt, Pharaoh addresses them together. Moses and Aaron, why are you taking these people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. Exodus 5.4. Exodus 6.13, but the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. So they're doing this very much together. Now, there's a really interesting little um, piece of backstory that we get in Exodus 6. This is after the campaign has already started to get Israel released. Mm -hmm. Moses and Aaron have made their case before Pharaoh. He says no. And his initial reaction to that is to increase the workforce, uh, to increase the workload of the Israelites, which obviously now they're very disgruntled at Moses and Aaron for that. And, and Moses is again questioning, am I really the right person to do this? Yeah. And it's right in there in Exodus, starting in Exodus 6.13, there's this, what, what appears to be just a very abrupt digression where we get the family tree, the, the lineage of Moses and Aaron. And as it goes through, okay, it's like um, the sons of the sons of Levi were this person and Moses and Aaron are the great grandsons of Levi, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. But kind of the, the punchline of this, this digression that gives us this whole lineage is that Moses and Aaron are the sons of a man named Amram who married his aunt. So Moses, is, Moses and Aaron's mother is the aunt of their father. Now this is one of the one of the sexual unions that is specifically outlawed in one of the later uh, laws that's given. I think in Leviticus, this is <laughs> this is one of the no nos, obviously, and it it feels viscerally wrong to us today. But this is one of them that is specifically given. This kind of marriage isn't supposed to happen. And in this passage, it's emphatic. It's saying. Yeah, that Moses and Aaron, they, these are the ones to whom God gave the order to get the Israelites out of Egypt. It's kind of it's kind of shocking how um, emphatic it is in that. It says um, after it after it gives you that history, it says it was this Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, "Bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions." They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. The same Moses and Aaron. When you see the Bible emphasizing something like that repeatedly, there's there's a reason for it. And then it goes right back to the story. And so and so the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt. He said to him, "I'm the Lord." Tell the king immediately right back to the to where the story was at before this digression started. Telling you it's there for a reason. It's been inserted to make a strong point, which is that these two guys are a surprising choice to be the ones to lead Israel out of oppression. And yet repeatedly throughout the Old Testament, you will see they're, they're not only referred to as the leaders of Israel at the time that it's happening, at the time when they're alive and they're actually leading them, but for the remainder of the Old Testament, it's those two guys, Moses and Aaron, Moses who brought them out of Israel, the sons of Aaron leading them and serving as the priests, they're constantly referred to. So 
an unlikely choice and yet an unapologetic choice by God and by the historians of ancient Israel. Mm. I will pick up in, um, unless you have anything to add, Big Rev. No, I, I, I had forgotten that Yochebed was a relative like that, a close relative. Yeah. And so that was, I, I, I mean, I, I didn't spend, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about Amram, but yeah, still. <laughs> Most don't. Yeah, yeah that's it, true. you really got to, but yeah, that, that's just kind of, the text points it out. It's, it's almost like we're not expecting, it's like we're going to be expecting some kind of awkwardness to come for Moses and Aaron. Because already there's and maybe sin is going to creep into this because sin is already there. Mm -hmm. And it's like Amram had one one job. And that was, I mean, I guess in fairness, the law really hadn't been, hadn't been given yet. I mean, it's, but still there's like this natural understanding that you don't marry your aunt. I mean, it's just, right. I mean, yeah, it's just, there's that. So I mean, and you could make the same you could make the same argument about the law technically had not been given yet that uh, thou shall have no no other gods before me the law was literally on its way down the mountain <laughs> but we'll get to that in a minute <laughs> um so okay so that's moses and aaron getting started on their their campaign now um aaron is really only mentioned in passing for the rest of this story but the way he's mentioned is uh repeatedly as he's doing his job and his job is Prophet. So here's a really interesting user. Uh, ap- immediately after that digression, we go back to the Lord resuming to give his commands to Moses and Aaron. And verse uh, Exodus 7 1 Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. This is a really interesting way that God operates. It's as though he's kind of stepping back and allowing the human players to. Um, to assume his role, or at least to kind of see how he's working in their lives. So Moses gets to play the role of God, and Aaron is playing the role of Moses, the prophet. So God speaks to Moses, Moses tells Aaron what to do, and then Aaron carries it out, and Aaron gives many of the, um, the edicts and, and, and does a lot of the speaking on behalf of God and of Moses to Israel and to Pharaoh. So he's the one who's actually speaking. He's actually the one who's doing most of these miracles or who's, you know, the human who's carrying them out for the remainder of the um, the Exodus narrative from chapter 7 through 15. It's uh, largely Aaron as much, if not more than Moses. And apparently he, he does a faithful job. We never get any indication in here that he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. He does as, as God tells him, as Moses tells him, he's acting as that that prophet representing God to the people. Now, um, we get into the wilderness after they're, after they're free, after they've made it out of Egypt. And what happens is the people are waiting down below while Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and is um, in conference with God. And God is laying out basically the rules for how Israel is going to live as his people and be distinct from the other nations. And part of that is the establishment of the priesthood, this royal priesthood, these people who are going to take care of the religious rituals 
And because he's having a specific group of people do that, those people need to be different. They need to even just look different. So there's everything from all the rituals and that they're going to carry out to what they're going to wear, much of which have to do with um, uh, like wearing, wearing stones over their hearts and, 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 and plates inscribed with words on their heads, which are representative of the fact that these priests are bearing the guilt and the judgment of the entire nation. That's what they're doing when they go in to the tabernacle to do their rituals. And Aaron, this is Exodus 28, Aaron and his sons are designated to be that first group of priests. And again, everything that we get of Aaron, I should say most of what we get of Aaron from here through uh, Numbers 20, so a good chunk of the of the Torah now is just Aaron and his sons doing as they're supposed to do, carrying out the work that God has given them, now acting as priest instead of prophet, priest representing the people to God, acting as their intercessors and their um, advocates. Okay. Oh, I don't know, Joel. Should we just go right to it? I was going to keep kind of... Uh, skirting over the um the history here of of Aaron's life until we get to his death but I don't know if I can help myself it's too good well before you do that I, I think it's really important for our listeners to understand many of us have the kind of Cecil B. DeMille you know Ten Commandments kind of understanding where we see Charlton Heston you know let my people go yeah and you know if 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 Moses is really not the mouthpiece and then we really, we really get mostly Aaron doing the speaking and doing the, mm -hmm. he's the one that if we're going to take it face value, Moses, you know, at the burning bush is I'm a, I'm a stutterer and I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't talk, talk to whatever, whatever he was doing with that moment. And God brings him Aaron to kind of take away the excuse. I mean, it's Aaron, the one that's being the one. I mean, the, the text seems to present Pharaoh kind of you know having a parlay with Moses the whole time but yeah. Aaron's the one on the front line there right I like how you brought that out do you think Moses was ever wondering like why am I here <laughs> well yeah I mean, it's... cut out the middleman God <laughs> totally no wait don't cut out the middleman yeah yeah I don't know um but that's clearly the way that God wanted it to be isn't that interesting you know you be you be me, Moses, you act like me, God, and Aaron will act like you. Mm. And yet I think that's how ministry works much of the time. We yeah. get little glimpses of how God is functioning, how he's operating in the lives of people. Yeah. Well, you, you seem like you were, you were itching to, to run to something and I, and I, I, I interrupted you with my random Ten Commandments. Okay. Let me just, I'll, I'll give a, I'll kind of wrap it up here with the, with the life of, of Aaron, with the summary of his, uh, his biography in the Bible, and then we'll go back to Exodus 32. So the golden calf incident, which you may know about happens shortly after the consecration of the priesthood, the, uh, the inception of the royal priesthood. Okay. But we'll come back to that. So, um, Leviticus 10, 
we there's an episode there which would also be worth covering uh but not don't really have time where um aaron's sons uh commit a, a fatal moral error which is really interesting because um they're not the only priests they're not the only sons of priests in the old testament who do that the sons of eli it's kind of a uh, a similar thing you have these very these these sons of a priest who are also working in the in the um not the tabernacle in their case but the place of worship and they're uh, making very dubious choices that result in i think it results in their death in that case in first samuel joel correct me if i'm wrong anyway yes. um I, I believe both nadab and abihu hmm. and hophni and phineas they both sets of, of sons of priests become crispy critters yes <laughs> I really just wanted to uh, set that one up for you to tee yeah. off there. They're, they're the original yeah. crispy critters, yes. Yeah, right. I thought that was Sodom and Gomorrah. Anyway, another conversation. <laughs> okay, that that in itself is another podcast series. Um, bear with me while I uh, find my place in my notes here. This is kind of the story of Aaron's life, though, as you'll see. This this is the pattern. It's like more or less. He is doing what he's been asked to do. He's he's carrying out his duties faithfully. And every so often, uh, we hit a pothole in the road where he does something. He makes a poor judgment call or or someone close to him does, uh, which often in the Bible does, doesn't reflect well on the person. You know, if, you're, if your children are screwing up, sometimes that's kind of um, considered a moral judgment of, of the parent, too. Um, but this is more or less the story of, of Aaron's life, generally faithful, obedient service to God and to his people sprinkled with these moral errors. And that represents so many people in the Bible, doesn't it? Um, but I will just touch on, um, I will touch on the, not the, not the death, but I guess the, the kind of the uh, climax or anticlimax of, of Aaron's life, which he and Moses are banned from the promised land. And you probably remember that too. Moses never actually gets to enter the promised land after everything he's done to lead the people out in the 40 years of wandering. He never actually sets foot there because of a kind of final inciting uh, moment of faithlessness where the people are desperate for water and God tells Moses and Aaron how to get it. You have to um, you have to use the special, the special rod that's been designated for worship in the tabernacle and go speak to this rock. And from the rock, water will spring, people can drink. And they've kind of had it with the people's complaining at that point. And long story short, they misrepresent God. They, in the way that they uh, go about performing this miracle, it's treating the people with contempt, treating the rock with contempt and not simply just speaking to it as God had said, but beating it. And not faithfully representing God to the people and, and what he had intended, which is the heart of what it means to be a prophet is to represent God faithfully. If you're not doing that, then you're not a good prophet. And we could talk about how maybe that was part of uh, Jonah's problem too from last week, uh, a surefire ingredient to being. Although I, I think I think the record can show, John, that Moses, though he was banned from the promised land, he does make it on a technicality on the Mount of Transfiguration. <laughs> ah. He shows up and <laughs> I finally made it. 
I'm just saying that that's, but you're, but you're right. You're right. Maybe that's why he was there for such a short time. Maybe, <laughs> maybe God just realized that after, after he was there, it's like, Oh shoot. Yeah. Get your um, cup of coffee and get out of here. Yeah. Right. Right. No, you can't <laughs> stay in that tent. <laughs> no, Peter, you can't. tent. <laughs> so, um, Okay, let's look at, let's get into uh, Exodus 32 while the night is young here. Because um, this is the, without a doubt, the, the juiciest thing I think we have to sink our teeth into when it comes to narrative about Aaron. So, let me pull it up here. Um, Joel, would you mind doing a little reading? Yeah, just tell me where to go. Well, what, what verse to start? Yeah, can you do can you do one through six in Exodus thirty-two? I happen to pull up NIV, so that's okay. That's what I've got too. Perfect. When the people saw that Moses was so long and coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, "Come, make us gods who will go before us." As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then, he, then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Hmm, revelry, huh? Yeah, there's uh, a lot of, <laughs> but a lot of uh, suggestions that revelry probably meet is probably of a, a sexual nature. So a lot of uh, a lot of questionable stuff going on in this passage. Um, Boy, where to start? Yeah, thank you for reading, Joel. So I like how there's a little um, a little hint that Aaron is trying to redeem this. I think you can tell he knows this is <laughs> this is deeply, deeply wrong as it's going down. But he's like trying to redeem it and and saying uh, these are these these are your gods. Or I, I think it's it's kind of questionable is that this is your god or these are your gods so maybe he's saying like this is it's cool because it's just representing god you know the true god he built an altar in front of the calf and announced tomorrow we have a, we'll have a festival to the lord to yahweh okay so like we're we're acknowledging we're still worshiping god you know and then they're doing their burnt offerings and fellowship offerings so it, you know they're it's it's still it's it's cool right <laughs> Joel, I don't know. Is there uh, enough um, plausible deniability here that this is excusable? I mean, we want to give Aaron credit. I mean, he's the mob mentality. Is, I mean, they're already going it's after strong. Moses. It's I mean, strong, this sure. fellow Moses. I mean, they're already speaking pejoratively. I, I mean, it's yeah. like, are you serious? You're no longer being yeah. whipped and making bricks without straw, yeah. people. Are you? But no, totally. I, I, I want to give him credit. But the text described the care that Aaron showed. He fashioned it with a tool. Yes. 
I mean, (laughs) it's like he's so. It's a blistering indictment because later, well, as we'll see later, he's trying to escape from that. Like, oh, I, I really didn't mean for that to happen. And, but it's, it's nope, uh, you're not getting away from that. He fashioned it with a tool. Yeah, he, he, uh, he lovingly cared for that thing and, and made sure it was, it was just so. And man, um, but what a, uh, gosh, it's just so, it's so true of the human condition, isn't it? The, the quickness to forget and, Moses and Aaron, who delivered them out of Egypt and risked their lives. And, and as you said, yeah, it spared them from the suffering that they were going through and how quick they are to just be like, where's Moses? What, why, what are we doing here? Maybe we should go back, you know. Um, let's worship some other gods. Some of those gods, those nations around us are worshiping. You know, they seem to do okay worshiping those gods and those gods often give them what they want. Maybe we should have some of that too. And um, yeah, you're, you're right, Joel. I mean, there's, there's no getting around, even if you want to like try to give Aaron the benefit of the doubt, that's not what the author is trying to do. It's clear that he's Aaron's guilty here. Aaron's the leader. I mean, true. It's it, the mob mentality is strong. They, maybe he resisted at first, but it doesn't matter. He, he has been vested with this authority with, with a much higher standard of leadership and he fails in the absence of Moses. I mean, especially when you think, John, sorry to interrupt you, especially when you think he was on the front lines. I mean, if we remember the uh, the throne room stories of his staff turned into a serpent, which then swallowed up the other one. So he of all people in Israel, maybe save Moses himself, understands that the Exodus is about Yahweh defeating these other gods and goddesses. So he, he knows of all people of Israel that you're not replacing God with any gods. And yet, yeah. the verse I read here, he didn't just make an altar and say, you know what, I made this golden calf. I, I shouldn't have done it, but I'm, instead I'm going to now going to make this altar over here. And now we're going to, because we need to be worshiping Yahweh instead of this thing. Instead, he puts the altar right in front of the stinking calf. Yeah. It's like he's bringing in some kind of syncretism here. He, he, it, it, there's something totally. about this where he's like, okay, we're not going to worship this idol. You want to call it Yahweh, we can call it Yahweh. But they, uh, he, it's almost like he's going the extra mile, and he is doubly without excuse mm. because he was on the front lines. And, I mean, yeah. I mean, 400 years That's... of polytheism. I mean, the people might be excused here for <laughs> to a degree, but not Aaron. Yeah. Not Aaron, yeah. Yeah, it's almost like some some cognitive dissonance or something going on. To just be so, um, as you say, yeah, kind of going out of his way to make this, to make this um, grave, you know, concession to these people, no matter how demanding they're being. Mm. Um, yeah, I. On the one hand, all evidence suggests that you know he Aaron is a faithful guy who normally obeys God and obeys Moses whom God has put an authority over him and does an overall good job carrying out the work that God has given him. But on the other hand, there's no excusing his guilt in this chapter. Israel screws up big time and Aaron is not only in charge, but aids and abets in that sin. Hmm. I, I, could, I, mean, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's a, a go along to get along kind of guy. This would explain why he does everything God and Moses ask. But when once he's alone, and Moses is gone with, and the presence of God is up there with him. Now Aaron answers to Israel, and that's just like they're very upset and demanding and hungry people. And the very 
and you know maybe Aaron just maybe struggles with not having enough of a backbone sometimes and this was a particular moment of weakness for him uh not not to excuse at all because I I think yeah what you're saying is totally true it's the the text is is not trying to uh, excuse him at all it's it's calling attention to the fact that he is um gone off the deep end a little bit in this moment at least um and the punishment fits the crime so let's let's get to that next uh do you want to read um would you read starting at 19 i think you can just go and read to the end of the chapter if you don't mind not at all all right so 19 to 35 okay when moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain and he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it into powder, scattered it in the water, and made the Israelites drink it. He said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. Moses saw that the people were running wild and, they, and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so became a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, you have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of. And my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with the plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. Those are kind of chilling. Uh, it's kind of a chilling final verse of that chapter, isn't it? Ooh. Like just a reminder, the calf that Aaron made, man. Yeah, he's he's uh, not getting off easy on this one. Thank you for reading all that, Joel. It's as, if, think... the Holy, it's as if the Holy Spirit, as he's inspiring Moses to write this down, mm -hmm. is saying, lest anyone forgets, yeah Aaron maybe just one more time one more time just say that Aaron <laughs> did it <laughs> just for good measure if this were if this were a movie it would you would have Aaron like coming down and confronting Mo uh I'm sorry you'd have Moses coming down and confronting Aaron you know what what have you done you know um explain yourself and there'd be a flashback to Aaron carefully constructing that craft uh, that calf you know uh, crafting it perfectly to his his uh, specifications, and then it would cut back to Aaron going, "I I threw in the gold, and out came this calf." I think that's a 
I think that's my favorite phrase in the Bible. Out it's came this calf. Alchemy. I can't explain it. The first, uh, the first, the first example of 3D printing. It just, right? it was just there. Um, yeah, it's kind of astonishing. Just the um, the brazenness, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The author goes to such takes such pains to <laughs> talk about how specifically Aaron made this thing, and then he's just completely denying any any responsibility you know, look i did what they told me to do you were gone um he he's like adam in this passage isn't he joel he's um this totally deflecting blame and yeah yeah they made me do it that's <laughs> that's what we do i was just uh, trying to throw the gold away and try to burn it <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> And then it popped out. What a very, un, a very unfortunate calf. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> by a, a total, yeah, coincidence. Freak of nature just uh, formed into the shape of a calf perfectly in the, in the furnace. Yeah. Hate it when that happens. So, and this is really intense. Um, the whole response to this, Moses, I mean, it's appropriate, but it's intense. Moses draws a line literally and tells everyone to pick a side. You're with me, with God or, or against us. And all the Levites side with him, side with God, and he orders them to just start going across the camp and killing those, killing the, the perpetrators. 3,000 people total die. Many of them kinsmen and friends of these Levites. And because they act faithfully and kill these guilty ones, despite them you know, being friends and relatives, God blesses them and sets them apart. And uh, thus the, the consecration of the Levites begins. So uh, again, as we mentioned earlier, it's, it's um, the tribe of Levi to whom all the, all the priests belong. And they don't get their own um, tribal allotment of land like all the other tribes of Israel do. Instead, they get designated places to live in, in each of the tribes. But Levi, there's no, there's no land of Levi like there is of Dan or Gad or Asher or Judah. There's no no region of Levi for that reason. The Levites are the are the priests. That's their thing. Um, but anyway, um, so now here I mentioned earlier that Moses and Aaron both act as priest and prophet. And I gave you an example of of Aaron acting as prophet earlier. Um, this is where Moses kind of acts as priest, and it's funny because it's it's almost like. Um, Aaron failed, you know, Aaron failed in his ability to, uh, he failed as priest here to represent his people to God. And so Moses has to go do it for him. He goes up to the mountain and he intercedes to the people. He's acting as their priest, praying for them, uh, praying for God to be merciful on them, which he is, you know, at first he's just going to like destroy them and start over. Um, but Moses is successful in swaying God and, um, and and convincing him to continue with his people, right? Not start over, but God still sends a plague on on those who are surviving in the camp. Not sure how bad it is or how broad it is, how many people that plague kills, but it's just like, man, it's the punishment is intense. It's uh, it probably affected people who weren't directly involved, and it's very um, it's just, you know, it's painful, but it's just. Uh, beginning of, of the following chapter, God tells Moses to go ahead with his people, but instead of following them in his 
uh, presence, the the pillar of fire. It's like, I'm not going to do that anymore because I'm so angry at them. I might destroy them if I do that. So instead, I'm going to send an angel who's going to still go ahead and and drive out their enemies for them. But I'm not going to go with them directly, God says. So that and that's like the most that's the most serious punishment of all, isn't it? I mean, if you think about they're on their honeymoon with God, I mean, he's, or, or they're almost, maybe, maybe not quite yet. I mean, they're, if you, if you picture the, the covenant that's coming down from the mountain, it's like that wedding ceremony. They're, they're like engaged to God. God has delivered them. And the first chance they get, they're stepping out on God. Right. The very first chance. This is like, and, and they're making their own replacement for God right away. Oh. So we're not surprised that God's upset. No, but but I love how you pointed that out because Moses here is clearly acting like a prophet where he says, this is what the Lord says, Mm -hmm. strap a sword to your side, boys. Yeah. And and then, you know, right before that, he's acting like, uh, like a, uh, like a priest interceding for the people. He's not denying the people's sin, but instead he's saying, you know, let me take their place. Yeah. There's something about that. That's very priestly. That kind of speaks to you know to, to the later work of Christ, but there's something right there that the priest is you know interceding, like what he's supposed to do. What Aaron, you know, it's, it's almost like what Aaron could have done. It's it's like you know what? No, we're not going to do this. This is going to besmirch God. You, you know, take it out on me if you want, but we're not going to do this heinous thing kind of thing. Yeah, totally. Like, it's yeah, I love I love that you pointed that out. That that Moses is is almost blurred lines of prophet and priest. There, he was both. Nice. Yeah, totally. Yeah, if you want to just a, a very distilled um, kind of um, explanation of what what did Aaron do here that was so bad, I think if I were to um, try to put it in simple terms, it's just that Aaron facilitated idol worship and blasphemy, blasphemy against God by his people, um, and he fed their false belief that God had abandoned them. You know, he did nothing to get out in front of this false notion that he's gone he's abandoned us he's left us Moses is gone you know we're on our own Aaron's left in charge there and he does nothing to quell that feeds into it you know feeds into the 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 fear and the and the the lust and the all the all the nasty things that are coming from um the people so and that's hence he's he's failing at being Moses prophet right he's his failing to represent God to his people that's what he was charged with back in Exodus 7 you're going to be the prophet you know he fails at that he's not representing God well that's why Moses as you say has to kind of step in and be the prophet and be the priest on everyone's behalf so the question is why would God choose Aaron to be the first priest and it's really important ask this question, especially when you do these character studies. And again, last week, Jonah was a good example. It's really easy to look at a character like this and be like, whew, man, I don't want to be like that guy. Good thing I'm not like him, you know? But the point is, we are. We are like these characters. These Bible characters are so representative of us, not only because we make very similar mistakes to them, but because God still chooses and uses us in spite of those things, in spite of knowing exactly who we are and what we're going to, all the, all the myriad ways that we're going to botch everything that he charges us with, you know, he uses us anyway. And what, what a character like Aaron occupying a very flawed person, you know, a generally faithful, but also deeply flawed and 
person who makes some serious, serious mistakes, and yet who occupies such an important role in the history of Israel and, and therefore of the church, why, why him? You know, why would God use a person like that? And and what a figure, what a figure like that teaches us, and what kind of a, a, a story arc like that in the Bible teaches us is to look for the replacement, is to look for the fulfillment, rather, to look for the fulfillment of that. Now, you theology buffs out there will know that Jesus occupies three very critical, very important and distinct roles. That's prophet, priest, and king. And if there's one thing we know about the prophets and priests and kings of the Old Testament, it's that Many of them were deeply, deeply flawed people. And again, that's us. That's how we are. God invites us to serve very important roles for the advancement of his kingdom, despite how flawed we are. And yet, and that's exactly what he did. That's what he's done from the start. And, and by looking at those stories of the, of the King Saul's and the Eli's and the Aaron's and the Jonah's and all these people who occupied such important roles, but were so flawed, it really just makes you hunger and crave for the ultimate fulfillment of those things. Who will be, who will be the king who gets it right? Who will be the prophet who gets it right? Who will be the priest who gets it right? And I, yeah, I mean, Joel, you alluded to it earlier. It's Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those things. Um, think of it like. It's like, it's like the law, you know, we talk about um, Jesus fulfilling the law without actually following all of the tasks and rituals that are laid out in the, in the law. So he doesn't do everything that the law entails. He doesn't need to because he perfectly fulfills the law. He, he's doing something better. It's like, uh, I don't know, it's like if you, if you were a time traveler from 300 years ago and you came to someone's house today and entered their living room they have this big uh cavernous living room you know and it's daytime and so it's bright in there and you're like man you must it must take so many candles to light this room <laughs> and person will say nope just one overhead light and you just flick that light on and it fills up the whole room with light and you'd think well but candles you need lots of candles lots and lots of candles and if you're not if you're not trimming wicks and cleaning up wax and and supplying oil then how can you really provide light to a room well you don't have to like replace every candle you don't have to have a candle to for <laughs> you don't have to have 100 candles to do that job you have something better which is an overhead light you know jesus is the fulfillment he doesn't replace he doesn't destroy, you know, what was there. It's the same way with him fulfilling the role of, of priest. He, he fulfills that role without needing to do most of the things that a priest actually does. He just does the essence of what a priest does. So he doesn't have to maintain a physical building or a schedule of tasks in order to maintain man's access to God and reconciliation with God. And that's because of the key theological truth. And essence of who Jesus is, that he is both fully God and fully man. He doesn't merely provide a connection between man and God. He is the connection between man and God. 
he literally embodies both. And so the, the priesthood used to function in a way that it was, it was this person was stepping and carrying it, carrying out all these, all these rituals to atone for the great separation deficiency between man and God. Jesus literally embodies that union, that reconciliation. Amen. Can you imagine just, there, there must've been just so much frustration and longing on the part of like of Old Testament Jews, knowing the failures of their leaders, of their priests and prophets and kings and looking for something greater. And maybe not even really knowing then that the Messiah that they were waiting for, maybe not even fully understanding that that figure, whoever he was, would, would serve as their priest and as their prophet and as their king. This Messiah would perfectly represent God to man and perfectly intercede on man's behalf to God to make man right with God. And he would be the perfect king to rule over man faithfully and justly and perfectly in all the ways that human rulers could never do. Anything you're stewing on over there? Just going back to the aftermath of the golden calf incident. You know, we, we learned this theologically thousands of years later in the book of Romans, but the wages of sin is death. And the Israelites learned that very principle that day where they had obviously sinned. Aaron didn't call him on that sin. Moses did. He came down. And now this is what God says. And so because of all this, there's going to be death today. And that I, I just, there's something about Moses when he's up there with just him and God. And this is not something where the whole world's going to see it. I mean, yeah, well, the whole world's going to read about it. But this is a private conversation. No, God, take me instead. Mm. This would have been a moment for Aaron to actually be that priest and to say, no, take me. I'm the one that made the calf. Blot me, you know, not blot me out, but, you know, the sword yeah. to strike me. Yeah. And that would have made him, and then it would have given, you know, it would have given Moses a chance to say, you know, God's not going to kill you, you know, or whatever, but God's going to kill the people because of the people sin. That would have been, that would have been a priestly intercessory moment right there that Moses yeah. ironically did on the mountain as both prophet and priest there. But that would have been more of a redeemable moment for Aaron. Had he said, no, 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 no. I, I was the leader. You left me in charge. I did this. Yeah. I'm the one that should die. Like yeah. that would be not that Jesus, you know, in the garden of Gethsemane, we don't understand him just racing to the cross. Like, I just can't wait to die. No, he's wrestling with it, but he's still willing to die. We yeah. don't even see Aaron having a willingness to die here. Mm. And so I, I think that is just, whereas Moses, there's something Christ-like, or at least a good foreshadowing of Christ in Moses here. Moses certainly isn't perfect, but it's a really good Moses chapter here in the mm. midst of a really bad Aaron chapter. Like Aaron, Aaron could have had that moment and it just didn't even cross his mind. And he just, you know, all he wants to do is rationalize. Whereas Moses doesn't rationalize. Moses says, yeah. you know, let me take it. Let me take their place. And, and Aaron's like, yeah, yeah, the people did it, man. 
I, I didn't yeah. know what I could do. It's, it's just a, a stark contrast of totally. And in that way, they, they kind of fulfill their, their roles. That's, that's kind of um, foreshadowed in again, in Exodus seven, but Moses will be like God and Aaron will be like Moses because to begin with Moses is very faithless. He's super doubting, you know, like, I really don't think I'm going to do this. Use somebody else. I don't want to do this, you know? And he end, ends up being the faithful one. He ends up being the one who's, right. uh, yeah, being the servant leader, like you said. And, and Aaron ends up being the one who's like Moses was to begin with, the faithless one, the one who is not trusting, who's not sufficiently trusting in God. Right. I'll just close with... Um, with something, uh, something very interesting. I, I was looking up: uh, is is Aaron anywhere in the in the New Testament? Well, he's mentioned a couple times. First, just kind of a, an interesting fact that totally makes sense as I hadn't really thought about before: that John the Baptist is a descendant of Aaron because his father Zechariah was a priest. Mm. Um, so take that for whatever it's worth, but Hebrews, Hebrews 7, 11, uh, let me pull this up real quick, asks a very interesting question about Aaron. Uh, it says this, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that, I'm sorry, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still a need for another priest to come? one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. So kind of a, a rhetorical question there by the author of, of Hebrews, and a really interesting question. And funny that that's one of the primary references to Aaron in the New Testament. And I think the answer in short is that Jesus, our ultimate priest, the one fulfilling our pre, our, the, the priesthood ultimately, and the book of Hebrews also talks about that. We, we have one, one priest, one mediator, only one that we need, and that's Jesus. Um, he's not a priest by lineage or heritage or by merit of his ancestry, but merely by faithfulness. And that is, uh, it seems like the, the author here is saying that, that that is the type of priest that Melchizedek, who is a, a, a figure briefly mentioned in Genesis, was but not Aaron obviously Aaron is designated um Aaron and, and his family that line of priests are designated on the basis of heritage but Jesus isn't like that it's on the basis of faithfulness and that's very much um it's it's like Abraham Abraham it was his was credited righteous because of his faith as are his spiritual followers credited righteous by merit of their faith not by merit of their relationship to abraham and incidentally it was abraham who had that encounter with melchizedek the priest so i just think that's interesting but this is um kind of a cool conclusion on the the aaron narrative ultimately the person who would fulfill that that role that was established by aaron 
and done more or less faithfully for most of his life, you know, as God had stipulated it, ultimately he would be filled, fulfilled by a person who was the, the spiritual heir, the, the heir by merit of, of faith and righteousness. And again, who serves that role more perfectly than anyone else ever could of interceding on behalf of man to God, because he is both man and God. It's almost like Aaron gets a redemption at the end where he, to a large part, was a failure as a priest. And, and, and he's, he's remembered for his failures. But, but the gospel writer Luke does us a favor, like you mentioned, is in, in, in verse, verse 5 of chapter 1, he literally says, Zechariah belonged to this priestly division, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So yeah. John the Baptist's parents were were a son of a priest and a daughter of a priest and yeah. so this is like double duty here so aaron though he is remembered for his failures as a priest ironically from our understanding ironically ironically well done gives <laughs> us who jesus considers the greatest of prophets hmm. yeah. John the Baptist. yep that's so cool i mean that's a redemption right there how God can totally. use our broken, messy stories yep. for his glory. And whereas Aaron, he did not point the people back to God. His long lost descendant, John the Baptist, uniquely paved the way. Yes, I mean, and pointed to God. Behold, behold the Lamb of God. Woo! There. So good. That's hardcore. Totally. Wow. Well, thank you, Crockpot, for I, I don't know about you, listener, but I haven't spent much time with Aaron, and I, I, I feel like I've received a master class with Aaron tonight. So thank you, Crockpot, for leading us in this time and for putting up with my random interruptions and, and, and salutations. Well, this has oh, been Masterclass yeah. Theology, and I am Big Rev. And I'm Crockpot. And we are so glad to be with you tonight. Have a good evening, and God bless. See ya. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.